Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. The Daniel 3 Podcast, Episode 8. Hey, this is uh, Jacob with the uh, Daniel 3 podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, I am excited to have uh, Michael Meharry on. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jacob. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. So uh, Michael does a couple things that I wanted to talk to him about today. Um, he is involved, the communications director, I think, at the 10th Amendment Center. That's correct. Um, which uh, I really like the stuff that they do. So I want to talk about that. And then you're also, you also host your own uh, podcast called Godarchy, which, uh, how long have you been doing that? A year or two? Uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly when I started. I actually launched the website in like, I want to say like 2017, 2016, but I didn't start doing the podcast until like maybe two years ago. All okay. the time, time runs together. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. The older um, you get, the worse it gets too. So, <laughs> so um, what got you into uh, Christian anarchism? Let's start there. Um, you know, what was kind of your, have you, and have you been a Christian your whole life and then you became an anarchist or like what was your, your journey to the positions that you hold today? Yeah, so that's a, that's a long story. I'll give you the abridged version. Um, I've been a Christian. Well, I mean, I, I was raised in a Christian home and, uh, and then kind of had a, uh, you know, come to Jesus moment in a very literal sense, when I was about 18 years old, I was a senior in high school and uh, was actually involved in ministry for about 10 years uh, doing music and, uh, and then went through the guitar in the background. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I still dabble around with it a little bit, but, um, and then I went through, I think, I don't, I don't know if everybody goes through this, but in, in my thirties, I kind of, I had my midlife crisis early and 
uh, really had some faith struggles, walked away for a while, tried to be an atheist. That was the world's worst atheist. Um, I, I, I was trying to be an atheist, but then would end up arguing Christian positions with people. So <laughs> I guess that goes to show how, how ingrained things get in your head. But um, And then I guess uh, things started to kind of come together in, uh, I guess, around 2005 or so. Um, I started to really just try to put my life back together, try to figure out my faith. Um, at that point, politically, I was your pretty typical uh, I guess, what would you call it? Christian right. Uh, you know, I was a good Rush Limbaugh listener and, uh, um, you know, pro-life was probably my big issue and really, really typical Republican, you know, Christian right wing kind of dude. And, uh, and then I got caught up in the Tea Party movement in, I guess, 2009, 2010, which I think a lot of people did with concern with, uh, with Obama and the taxes and all of that kind of stuff and went to a couple of rallies and I had gone back to school. I had a journalism degree and, and everything just kind of came together at a point where I was like, you know, I really feel like I should get involved uh, in this. If I, if I really care about politics, if it's really important to me, then I probably should get involved somehow more than just going to some rally somewhere. And, started looking for some place that I could get involved. Now, mind you, at this point, I'm still, I, I would still probably call myself a neoconservative. Um, and, but I, but I had some, I think, instincts, which were right on. And, and one of those instincts was limited government, which, you know, is supposed to be a Republican thing. Right. Um, and so, and that was really the whole, least. <laughs> well, yeah, I, and <laughs> I think it's more theoretical than reality, but, right. uh, you know, but I had, but I had that idea and I knew about the 10th amendment and I had this sense that the federal government was overreaching. Um, you know, I had some good foundational ideas, I guess, which kind of led me in, in the right direction. And so as I was looking for a place to get involved, I stumbled on the 10th amendment center and, um, I don't even remember how, to be honest with you. I, I just came across the website and was reading some of their stuff. I thought, oh, these guys sound pretty cool. Now, I had no idea what they were really all about, right? Um, but uh, I, I thought, well, this is a good place to get plugged in. They were looking for volunteers. And at that time, we had a kind of a state chapter-based model. And so I signed up on their volunteer link and said, I'm, I'll be your Kentucky uh, state coordinator. And so they did their little vetting process on me. And um, one thing led to another. And I, I was the Kentucky coordinator for maybe four or five months. And then Michael Bolden figured out I could write. He was like, hey, would you like to be the uh, communications director? I'm like, sure. Again, I really had no idea what I was doing. I was still kind of this, you know, Republican, limited government kind of person. And it probably took me maybe six months or a year to realize Republicans were full of crap. Uh, when, you know, when you really start looking at constitutional principles, it becomes very clear very quickly that Republicans are no more constitutional than the Democrats are. They just talk a better game. And so that wool fell off of my eyes very quickly. And, and then, you, then I just kind of started going down the wormhole. You know, you, I, I started off reading a lot of constitutional history, political philosophy. That led me into uh, you know, some more kind of libertarian things like Bastiat. Um, 
And we were doing at the time these things called Nullify Now, which were uh, live events that we were doing across the country. And Tom Woods was typically the keynote speaker at these events. So I got to know Tom. And that introduced me into you know, your more hardcore stuff like Nisus and Rothbard. And, and I started reading and, and you know, I, I pretty quickly went from neoconservative to minarchist. And then you know, the old joke, what's the difference between a minarchist and an anarchist? Well, about six months. For me, it was probably a couple of years, but um, it was just kind of a slow burn from there. And as I began reading, uh, you, you realize more and more the illegitimacy of government, particularly from a uh, from a philosophical perspective. And you know, at the same time, um, you know, I'm kind of recovering from the the dark place in my spiritual life, and uh, you know, it was just kind of a time where I was really trying to put things together and realizing that I think like a lot of people, my life was very compartmentalized. You know, I had my work life and I had my politics and I had my religious life and all of these things were kind of separate. And I, I really wanted to start to make my life more of a cohesive whole and make sure that all of these things work together and made sense. And, and that really kind of led me down the path towards, um, Christian art anarchism. I hate the term anarchist because it has such negative connotations. Sure. I like the term voluntarist best, but nobody knows what in the heck that means. <laughs> but uh, but that that really started to to resonate. You know, looking at the ideas of non-aggression of um, of Jesus being the Prince of Peace, and the way that Christians were taught to interact with the world fits very nicely with the libertarian idea of non-aggression. And, uh, you know, there's, there's the whole idea of self-ownership and that God does not coerce us into his kingdom. And, and all of these things started to fit together for me. And, and uh, so here I am today. So that's the, that's the abridged version. You don't want to hear the long version. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, and for those who aren't familiar, maybe you can just briefly describe, I mean, I think a lot of people watching this will at least know what the 10th Amendment is. But if, for those who aren't familiar with the 10th Amendment Center, uh, what, what, what is the work that they do? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So um, let's start with what the Tenth Amendment is first, because surprisingly, a lot of people don't even know that. Even a lot of uh, people who are pretty politically savvy don't really know what the Tenth Amendment is. Funny story: I was in uh, uh, South Carolina. This is a number of years ago, at an event, and happened to be sitting at a bar with a woman who was running for I can't remember if it was U.S. Congress or Senate. I think she was running for Congress. And uh, she was like, oh, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I work for the 10th Amendment Center. And she was like, oh, the 10th Amendment, which one is that? And this is somebody who's running for Congress. So, uh, you know, that kind of gives you an idea of the constitutional literacy that we have in, in the country today. But basically, the 10th Amendment is, uh, it's actually what is known as a rule of construction if you're a, a legal wonk. And, and it really doesn't do anything. It doesn't actually change the Constitution one iota. The Constitution would be exactly the same if the 10th Amendment was never added to it. It simply tells us how to read the Constitution, and what it tells us is that any of the powers that aren't delegated specifically to the federal government remain with the states and the people. So it's a limiting clause, and it tells us that if you go through the Constitution and you don't see a power specifically listed for the federal government to do, then the federal government's not supposed to be doing it. So, you know, uh, the the powers that remain with the states and the people, as James Madison put it, are uh, numerous and indefinite. And the ones that were delegated to the federal government are few and defined. And of course, we flipped that system on its head. And that's really what the Tenth Amendment Center is all about. Our goal is kind of twofold. First thing is to educate 
to teach people what the Constitution actually means and says, what its intentions were, uh, what the founders, how they understood it, what the system of government in the United States is really supposed to look like. And I think it's important to do that, uh, whether or not you believe in the legitimacy of the government or not. It's, it's ostensibly supposed to operate in a certain way. It clearly does not. I think it's important to understand that. The second thing that we do is more activism-based, and uh, it's, it's really at its core a decentralization strategy. Uh, to try to devolve power away from the federal government back towards the states, towards local governments. You know, ultimately, as voluntarists, we'd love to devolve it all the way back to the individual, but you have to start somewhere. And my one of my core political philosophies is that centralization of power is one of the most uh, gravest threats to our liberty. I think decentralization of power is bad. Monopoly, monopoly government is bad. Government is bad to begin with. Monopoly government makes it worse. The Constitution and the Tenth Amendment give us this tool that we can use toward decentralization. And from a practical standpoint, the strategy is simply something that James Madison gave us way back before the Constitution was even ratified in Federalist 46. Uh, this was an issue. People were told that, hey, this is supposed to be a limited national general government. What are you going to do when it oversteps its bounds? And in Federalist 46, James Madison gave us several steps that could be taken. And I think the most significant is a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. Those were the actual literal words that he used. And so we can use this strategy, refuse to cooperate with the feds, to effectively block implementation of federal power. We've seen this most effectively with the uh, the war on marijuana. You know, today we have uh, 36 states that have legalized marijuana in some way. We have 15 states that have legalized it completely. The federal government still insists that we have complete prohibition. Prohibition is not actually in effect in reality, though, because the states have refused to enforce it. The states have refuse to use their personnel or resources to enforce federal marijuana laws. When state and local governments don't help the feds, the feds can't do much of anything. And that's the dirty little secret. That's the whole secret to what the 10th Amendment Center does. The federal government can't really implement any of its federal laws or federal programs without the assistance of state and local governments. So when you pull that away, as Madison suggested, uh, it makes it difficult for the feds to do what they're trying to do. So it's a decentralization uh, thing. And uh, I think it's I think it's an important first step. You know, I get a lot of get a lot of pushback from anarchists. Oh, the Constitution's stupid. And they want to quote Spooner at me and pretend like. <laughs> Oh, this Mahari guy must have never heard of Spooner. Yes, I've read Spooner. Um, and I think Spooner's uh, the mistake in using that, that famous quote that everybody likes to throw around. You know, either the Constitution was meant to do this or it was uh, powerless to prevent it. The problem is that words on paper don't do anything. You know? And really, if you get down to it, yelling Constitution is certainly ineffective, but yelling, I have rights is equally ineffective. I mean, you know, I can sit here and scream that I have natural rights until I'm blue in the face. It doesn't matter until I'm willing to enforce somehow. And that's the same thing with the Constitution. So we give some teeth and power to the Constitution to try to devolve away from the states. And we basically, we take the marijuana model and we apply it to any issue we can think of. You can do the same thing with guns, uh, with healthcare, with FDA regulations, with sound money surveillance. There's all kinds of issues that you can uh, push back against federal overreach. So that's basically what we're doing. And if people are interested in learning more, just go to 10thamendmentcenter.com. You spell out 10th 
and uh, just check out our blog and you'll see the various policy issues and the way we use state legislatures and, and local governments to, to push back against the feds. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that the decentralization message uh, made made the 10th Amendment Center very much aligned with the uh, the uh, Libertarian Mises Caucus, which I'm sure you're also uh, familiar with. I don't know how, if you're involved with them to any degree or not, um, but that's very much their platform too. I'm, I'm more, I, I know people personally who helped to get that thing going because they the, that started here in PA where I live. Right. Um, well, you said you're in Kentucky, which is where my mom grew up. So I'm pretty familiar with Kentucky too. Um, but yeah, you do get a little bit of pushback, especially from Christian anarchists when you start talking about decentralization and you are framing things from uh, you know these the, you know statist uh, right. uh, frame frameworks. So like, well, you're an anarchist. Why are you getting involved? In any of this, um, it, it can be uh, frustrating. What what is your sense of of uh, a Christian's role as far as how we can interact with the state? Like, there there are some Christian anarchists who believe the philosophy, and the, the you know not not that it's a separate philosophy from Christianity. They would say that this is all just you know being a consistent Christian that we should seek to be separate from the state and and to almost ignore it, not to get involved at all. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what, what's your take on that? And what, what do you think the, uh, uh, the, the role of the Christian should be as far as how we interact with the state, you know, coming from, from you know, the Bible or, or uh, principles taught within? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I honestly don't have the answer to it. Um, in, in my mind, I think that each of us as believers have to seek out God, pray, seek out the Holy Spirit, and, and do what you are led to do. I'm very sympathetic to the argument of uh, just completely withdraw from, from the state. And, and I honestly, there, there are certain, I, I would never be able to run for office, for instance. Um, I don't get involved in electoral politics at all. Uh, my, my sense is that most politicians are sociopaths to begin with. <laughs> um, so I don't want to be one of those. But that's just that's just kind of where I am, and and some people would say my involvement goes too far. I've been reading uh, Lipscomb. I don't know if uh, folks are familiar with him, mm -hmm. but um, you know he makes a very strong case that Christians should not be involved with the state at all. That our our nation is the church, and that we should put all of our energy into <clears throat> that type of of work, <clears throat> and that when people who are Christians get involved with this state, they're actually taking their time and talent away from, from their own uh, place where they should be. He makes a really good argument. Um, I look at it from a, a kind of a, uh, maybe a more pragmatic standpoint. And I, I look at the world around me and I see people that are suffering. And I see in the life of Jesus, one of the things that he did when he was on the earth was he did his best to eliminate people's suffering. He healed, uh, you know, he, he dealt with their spiritual needs. He dealt with their physical needs. He fed them. I can't sit back and do nothing when we have this monster state that is locking people in cages because of substances that they happen to have or, um, you know, stealing our wealth, destroying our, our money, um, and I think even <clears throat> probably the primary issue for me is war. 
um, you know, we have these nation states that are are leading us into these wars against each other that are killing millions of people, starving millions of people. I can't sit back and do nothing, and we can't pretend like that's not going on. And so for me, I think anything that we can do <clears throat> to block the power of the state, to, to lessen the power of the state is uh, something that I feel that I'm obligated to do. And, um, you know, I'm not going to argue. I, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing with voting. You know, you have the same argument. Should you vote or not vote? And I personally haven't voted in quite a while, but I'm not going to tell somebody, you can't vote or it's a sin. You know, I just can't. I, I've, the older I've gotten, the less dogmatic I've gotten about a lot of things like that. So, um, you know, that's probably not a very satisfying answer for a lot of people because they want, they want, I was thinking about this yesterday and, and this is maybe going to go off a little off the rails a little bit, but um, I think we as, as human beings, there's something in us. And I don't know if it's part of, of just the fallenness of humankind or what, but there is something about us that wants to control. We want to be in control of everything. We want to control other people. Uh, we want to control our own lives. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you look at the reaction toward the coronavirus, it's very much this idea that if government just does the right things, we can control it. If you just wear a mask, you can control it. If you just do this, it's your fault that the virus is spreading because, you know, no, there are some things that are beyond our control. And I think that's true of our spiritual lives as well. We want to control God. And what we want to do is we want the black and white list. I think that's why the Pharisees were the way they were. They wanted to say, if we can check off all of these things, then we are in God's will and everything's cool. And our relationship with God isn't that simple. There is no list to check off. There is no dogma that we can follow. We have to seek out this relationship with the, the king of the universe. And, and it's messy and it's hard. And, and I don't think that we can make a list. And when people ask me these dogmatic questions, I have a real hard time answering them because I don't think there are necessarily answers. I don't know that that there probably is ultimately a right or wrong, but I'm not sure that that we can even find that. So we just have to muddle through the best we can. And so for me, it's uh, you know attacking the state through the Tenth Amendment Center and then trying to educate uh, folks in the church about uh, the illegitimacy of government and the fact that it is based on violence, force, and coercion, and that we should, we should resist that in any way we can. Yeah, no, it, it, that's a good answer. And that, that, that is honestly my intuitions and, and where I come from, which is I, I do have a anti-political, uh, like natural response to a lot of these things, but I can't find it in myself to, to you know, attend, uh, meetings with libertarians or or see them talking online and 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 hop on and be like oh you you statists how can, how dare you go and vote how dare you try to initiate this i mean i might have my opinions on whether or not those are good uses of time uh right. or and what i will do personally uh but you know i as libertarians we understand the the concept of division of labor and i think right. that applies to to activism as well that you know everyone's going to be called differently to do different things that's even in the bible i mean we right. all have different giftings we all have yeah. and you know it, sometimes we can get i think frustrated because it's like you know let's say like for example let's say where i'm at in the body of christ is like i'm, I'm a hand and i go and do things that hands do but then i see somebody who is a foot and i'm seeing them do things that i don't do and i'm like what are you doing and right. i'm not realizing well they're a foot they're not going to do the same things that i do yeah you know, god uses us all differently in our own in our own 
spheres of influence. And right. um, as long as no one is initiating force against someone and, and, and they're acting based upon what they think they're convicted to do, uh, based on these common principles, then I, I tend to, you know, wish them well in what they're doing and, and ally where I can. And if I can't, then, you know, just let them be and focus on, focus on what I'm doing. So, right. um, but I, I do think these things are useful, even if they can't accomplish their stated goals, like maybe the 10th Amendment Center and, and the LP and the Mises Caucus will, will do nothing of, subst- of, of any uh, substance over the next five or 10 years towards combating statism on a political level. But what they can do, what I think that their most important role is, is, is being uh, beacons that can attract people in from the, uh, the normal sphere of statism that people are uh, born in and entrenched in. Um, and when people start to question that, you know, the religion of statism that they're uh, indoctrinated in, uh, well, they, they look to the things that are the most common, but also like closer to where they're at. Mm-hmm. You know, not a lot of people go from Republican, like, I, and I always ask people their journey because I've yet to hear somebody say, well, one day I was a, uh, <laughs> a, a straight line ticket red Republican. And then I read one post on Facebook and I was a Christian anarchist the next day. Right. Like, right. It, it never happens. People tend to when they do start to question their presuppositions, they take baby steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I am involved somewhat with the LP and with the Mises caucus, but it's not so much that I'm involved in those because like I'm out there trying to get people elected. I, I tend to be there to try to talk to people who are in the beginning stages of that journey, right. who, you know, cause that's, that's what happened to me was I questioned my presuppositions. I got involved and then, yeah, about six months later, then it was like, I went down that, that uh, rabbit hole of questioning going, you know, because to me, it got to a point where I was like, we think these things are going to work to make the state better. It just seems like we're doomed and you can do nothing to make the state good. It's inherently evil. And then the, you know, the, the quiet anarchists in the room were like, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. (laughs) So, um, you know, I, I think that all these things serve important roles, but I, I do like the, uh, the, the argument from the 10th Amendment, uh, which is something a lot of people are very ignorant of the role of the 10th Amendment, which was that, yeah, anything that wasn't explicitly stated in the Constitution was to be given to the states and the localities. And now we had this modernist idea that the Constitution is, you know, you hear the living document and, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it's, we can reinterpret it. And a lot of people get so focused on Congress and the executive uh, branch. But to me, the Supreme Court has been almost the, the worst of our three branches in terms of destroying the Constitution and, ex- and the expansion of, 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 the, of the state powers because they haven't done their job. But they're supposed to be the main, the, the main bulwark against abuse of the Constitution. Instead, they became the culprits, which I actually think I heard this from Tom Woods who, when he made, he basically said this was the, ma- the major flaw of the Constitution, that we gave the government its own, the power to interpret its own binding document, which right. we see kind of, you know, was an inevitable uh, way for the state to get out of those chains. That was the idea the founding fathers had, whether right. we're going to bond, they, they knew the, the, the tyrannical nature of state power, 
but they they weren't ready to try some kind of voluntarist you know market anarchy society so they said well we're going to try to make a really ironclad constitution that's going to bind the forces of government with with various checks and balances and 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 things that'll keep it from becoming tyrannical and get, give people the ability to to restrain it but the other thing that they said was that you know at any point if the government oversteps its bounds there's a duty of the people to step up and to overthrow that government. Um, and it's funny that that's the founding of this nation. But now today, when people talk about uh, the state going too far or the idea that, uh, you know, it's become more popular. Now you hear talks of like, you know, well, maybe California should secede or Texas mm -hmm. should secede. And, and, and people have this knee jerk reaction that that's, you know, immoral or ridiculous. And I was like, well, that's what this whole country was founded on. Right. If you don't believe in that, then, you know, it, it's hard to communicate with those people. Um, you know, especially the ones that claim to be, like, you know, with, with the left, it's one thing. Like I've noticed the left, maybe one thing there, you could say this is a good thing in, in some aspects. Uh, they don't really buy into American exceptionalism that much, um, right. as much as the right does. But the right buys into it, but then like they miss the point. Right. You know, I mean, uh, and, and I have a weird background. Like I, I grew up in a Republican kind of constitutionalist household, but because of my education, I became very much indoctrinated into the leftist culture. Right. Um, actually, the last time I, last time I voted um, in 2016, I voted for Bernie Sanders, Sanders in the primary and then Hillary Clinton in the, uh, um, in the main election. Uh, and then this past time I didn't vote at all. So I, I did make a pretty, pretty big transition right. in four years, but, um, but even though, so like I can remember my conservative upbringing, but most of my time as a young adolescent and an adult was as a, as a Democrat, as a leftist. Um, what, what do you view as like the hurdles that there are, are between people coming from both left and right and how we as Christian libertarians and anarchists can best reach them from their various, uh, you know, where they're at. I'm so glad you asked that question because as you were talking, this was the question that I wanted to answer. <laughs> so, so good job on the question asking there. I think the biggest problem that we face is that we are indoctrinated from the time we are in kindergarten. As soon as we get in that government school, we are indoctrinated to believe in centralization. It, it is, it is everybody ultimately turns towards centralization. Um, you know, we say the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation, indivisible, you know, so that's, that's ingrained in our head. We're ingrained that the most important thing that we can do politically is vote for the president. Uh, everything is focused on Washington, D.C. when it comes to politics. Everybody believes in centralization because that's the easiest way to impose your political will on the other guy. So your right-wingers, as much as they might talk about, oh, we believe in limited government. No, they want that from a centralized authority. Of course, the left, it's the same thing. They've used the court system to basically impose their agenda on the entire United States. Here's what really frustrates me. Libertarians are just as bad on centralization as as the left and the right they there's this mentality that if we can just get the right supreme court justices we can we can have liberty from on high i hate it 
when libertarians start suing in federal court for their rights because the federal government was never supposed to police the state or local governments. All you're doing is centralizing power even at an even greater level. And they're like, well, Mike, what do we do when the states uh, violate our rights? States are bad too, and local governments, we have to have... Well, what do you do when the federal government violates your rights? You, are we going to have a world court to, to police the federal? No. Do whatever you were going to do with the federal government. Do it at the state. Just pretend like D.C. doesn't exist. That's, that's one of my big messages. But we have to overcome this impulse towards centralization. And it's hard to do for people who are involved in politics because it's easier. It's easier to go to the federal government and get something done because it applies to everybody than it is to go to 50 different states or go to your local community. It's harder work to do local activism and nobody wants to do that. So we're just gonna go, we're gonna hopefully get the right court case and sue. But the problem is it never works. The federal government always expands its own power. That's the problem with centralization. It just, it, it, it continues to, uh, to build upon itself. So you you go and, and we go to the Supreme Court and, and I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, qualified immunity. That's an invention of the Supreme Court through the incorporation doctrine. That's an invention of federal courts meddling in state and local policing and deciding that we've got to give these police officers this cover. That would have never happened if it weren't for the centralization of power in the Supreme Court. Nobody seems to get that. They just want to run to the to the federal government and, and try to undo it. It never gets undone. You get these little crumbs every now and then, and people, you know, cry, "Oh, this is great, the Supreme Court." No, you you just you made it worse, <laughs> you know. So I think that's the biggest thing is to get people to think. Uh, Brian McClanahan, he's a historian. Some people might be familiar with. He always talks about think local, act local. That really is what we need to try to get people to to do. It's a change of thought, and that really to me is the key it's not a political program it's really getting people to change the way they look at the world um and so one of the things that i do is i just i just make an analogy i'm like you're asking for monopoly government right that's basically what people want they want monopoly government what would you say if i was suddenly king of the world and i said you know what we're gonna have walmart be the only grocery provider in the United States, because hey, it'll be more efficient, and we can get more done, and it'll they'll have, uh, you know, they'll have uh, great supply chains, and and we won't have to worry about any of this competition, and it'll it'll be great, and everybody would say no, that's a horrible idea because we'll get less selection, and we'll have uh, worse customer service, and prices will go up. All of these things we know that go along with with artificial monopolies in an economic sense. That all happens with government. So I say basically the U.S. government's like Walmart. So, you know, to try to get people to break out of that that mold of of centralization, and that to me that's the hardest thing to do because everybody everybody wants to slide back into it because we get frustrated at trying to fight on the local level. So we want to go, oh well, we'll just make the feds make them do it, and and you're just ultimately adding to what is already the biggest most powerful government in the history of the world. Yeah, that's so true. And it's funny because no one likes monopoly in any other way. I mean, people hate it when their choices are limited. You know, people hate when they can, when they want to go to buy something and they can only buy it from one place. I mean, like internet right. is a big example. You remember back when, um, 
uh, what was it called? The uh, net neutrality was the big thing. Everyone right. was worried about that because they're like, well, if we get rid of net neutrality, where they were worried about, you know, this the powers of monopolization of the of the internet providers and stuff, which is already really the status quo it was before. I mean, right. and, and you know, like in my area, there is one internet provider worth of salt if you want to do anything on the internet of of substance. The rest are like. Okay, well, you're, <laughs> you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, up here we we have one, and like you know, the, the next closest provider, like like the lowest, we have Comcast. Their lowest internet package is like a hundred megabits per second, yeah. and then the the second best is like DSL at like thirty megabits per second, which is like you can barely stream a low resolution right. YouTube video at that rate. You know, it's basically like I can go on social media a little bit you know, yeah. with one device. If you live in a household with multiple people and you guys try using it at the same time, you'll get nothing done. Uh, people hate Walmart and big stores because of mm -hmm. this. Although it's, it, it's funny that they don't realize a little tangent, but with the lockdowns, they've done nothing but empower the, oh, the, those stores to get bigger and they're destroying uh, small mom and pa shops. Me, mm -hmm. me being, you know, I, I mean, we're, our shop's doing okay because we're we've at least allowed to be open because we're an essential business. But <laughs> lucky the, yeah, lucky us. But at the same time, when everybody's broke, you know, it doesn't really help us that much. And, right. you know, people, uh, I'm in the car repair industry. Ah. Unfortunately, even though we thought that we'd be okay because car prices have been skyrocketing, mm -hmm. but people are still are just like, they'd rather go into debt and have a car payment than fix their cars. A lot oh, of yeah, the time. That's, a, that's a whole nother ball of wax. That's your, uh, that's your central bank keeping interest rates so artificially low that everybody feels yeah. like they can borrow money and there's it's no interest yeah and, and, and that's a monopoly over currency mm -hmm. it's like people people pretend that they are against monopoly but they love monopoly they think it's the best way and it's like you said it's like it's because it's simple and people i think want things to be simple they like the nanny state they like right. the idea that there's one person or one entity that decides what's good but their problem is it's like well when the other side gets a hold of that power that's bad so then they get politically involved and and it becomes you know my team no matter what even right. even during the past two elections when you would talk to a lot of republicans and democrats about the the their candidates it's like yeah we don't really like hillary clinton and we don't really like joe biden but he's not donald trump and, <laughs> right you know same thing from the other side like a lot of Republicans, especially the establishment Republicans, they weren't crazy about Trump when he came in. Mm -hmm. uh, but then they were like, well, Trump or Hillary or Biden? Well, I guess we're Trump. So yeah. it, it becomes it's like you could put, you know, anybody at the head of those two parties. And, and those people would, for the most part, you know, 95 percent of the registered like the, the, the people who voted that way last time will come out again even if it's someone they absolutely despise. I mean, it's funny, like when you watch the primaries too, like everyone's so nasty with each other during the primary, the, 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 the primary races, like, you know, we could hear nothing about how, about how bad Joe Biden was or Sam or, or uh, Kamala Harris was during the primaries. Yeah, nobody uh, voted for Kamala Harris. Yeah. I mean, like she got, she got <laughs> less votes than Tulsi. Right. And now all of a sudden she's going to be the next president. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's such a, it's, it is. And, and you're right. It, it, it comes from, to me, it comes heavily from indoctrination at a young age. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, that's why I became a leftist was because I was in an, a, the advanced placement history classes and they taught a very uh, leftist revisionist history 
uh, that took me a long time to unlearn. I mean, I was basically brainwashed about the horrors of the Gilded Age, the horrors of laissez-faire capitalism right. and the free market and the robber barons and, and you know, yep. the, the worker towns. And, you know, we watched Grapes of Wrath when, in our history class. And, uh, you know, the, the New Deal was the savior of the 20th century, all this right. stuff, uh, you know, and then uh, it, it took a... It took a neocon actually to break me out of that book because uh, I, had, I had to watch a debate between Ben Shapiro and the <laughs> guy from the Young Turks. And oh, that was that was the first little like crack in the foundation. Yeah. And then I and then I started to look into it more. And then by the time I got to uh, uh, Tom Woods, that was, you know, the dam broke. And then I right. learned about the Fed and the harm the harm the Fed causes like you were talking about with the uh, the free money that the, the banks get being the you know, our economy, I hated when Trump supporters talked about how booming the economy was. Yeah. It's like, what economy? We have a bubble. It was like Trump did the same trick the last, you know, half dozen presidents did. Well, and he knew it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he talked about it when he was running. He called the, the stock market a big, fat, ugly bubble. And he talked about the 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 artificially low. I mean, he, he was like, oh, this dude gets it. And then as soon as he was elected, it became his big, fat, ugly bubble. And that was all that we could, you know, we hung our, our whole. I have the best bubble. <laughs> yes. It's the biggest and bestest. But but that's there. There you go. That's politics. You know, it. If you gave me a magic wand and said, Mike, you can wave this magic wand and you can completely eliminate government from any one sector of society, what would you do? And the first impulse is to think like the Fed or maybe you know get rid of the Department of Defense, military. I think the thing to, that I would want to get rid of is, is get government out of education because Absolutely. you hit the nail on the head. That That is where – like I'll, I'll give you an example just from, from working at the Tenth Amendment Center. Um, there are two documents that were written in 1798, the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions. They were written by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. If you go out on the street and ask a hundred people, what are the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions of 1798? You're probably going to get a hundred blank stares. You may get one person that might think I, these, these documents laid out these principles of nullification that the federal government is not supreme. Thomas Jefferson said in the Kentucky Resolutions that the courts cannot be the final arbiter. I mean, these are like foundational documents of American political philosophy. I'll never forget when I first started working for the Tenth Amendment Center, Michael Bolden sent me these links to these documents. He said, first thing you need to do is read these two documents. I'm like, oh, cool. Thomas Jefferson wrote this. Okay. I'm sitting here on the couch reading. It's like, how is it? that I am a, a relatively well-educated person who took numerous advanced level history courses in college have never heard of this. That's the failure of our education system right there. The, everybody should at least know what the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions, nobody knows because we don't teach that because it undermines the, uh, the narrative that we have that the United States is this one nation indivisible and that the federal government is supreme over all things. So there you go. Yeah, and then the, I want my magic wand. Right. Yeah, we'll work <laughs> on that. The, the the other thing that education does because you, you have the indoctrination on one hand, and then the other thing is that they cripple you. They like you would think the point of school would be that you could come out and be educated enough to go out and live life. Right. Maybe you need to go to college for higher end degrees for specialized professions. Mm -hmm. But you would think the goal of high school is you could leave high school and and 
live a successful life at an entry level job working your way up. But right. people can't do that anymore. Yeah. You leave high school with with almost negative skills. Right. <laughs> like you, you have no idea how to survive in the world. I mean, it mm-hmm. was a rude awakening for me. I was lucky that I had a family business that I was able to be a part of. If I didn't have that, man, I would have been in rough shape. And right. so, you know, people can't, and, and the schools don't teach people to be personally responsible and no. to develop themselves and, and to, you know, it's like they, they think critically. Yeah. To think critically. Um, you know, they spend all this time talking about, and in, in the history classes, the failures of capitalism, and then they put you out into society and you can't compete and do anything. And it becomes really enticing for like, I understand and, and emphasize with my generation of, uh, of, of the millennials and stuff that have become yeah. enthralled with Bernie Sanders and all that. I mean, I did too. And it's because you think you've been, you you think that you're getting uh, screwed over by, by the rich. Cause you're like, well, look at how much money they have and it's unfair. And right. you know, like why, why, why should they make all this money when I go and work this low end job at Walmart and McDonald's and I get pennies and, and the, it, it's just, it took a while for me to realize it's like, well, no, um, I came in out of high school and didn't have any skills. If you come out of in life, you don't have any skills to offer, you know, nothing comes from nothing. The issue is we have a society and an economic structure where something does come from nothing. We print money out of thin air and we inflate these bubbles and people don't see this as, um, it's like Keynesian economics is like this mind virus. Yeah. And, and that's the problem with Republicans is that they talk this big game about sometimes when whenever it's like I'm looking forward to it. We'll have four years of Republicans pretending to care about deficits and mm, uh, yeah. and, and, and limited government again, because <laughs> yeah. the, but but they don't when they get into office, they don't do anything. They're no. just Democrats and Republicans are going down the same highway. Democrats want to floor it, get into the left lane, 95 the whole way. We've been in our traffic. Republicans say, well, can we just go to the speed limit? Yeah, boomers. <laughs> They're like, we yeah, want was, our socialism, but let's but let's keep it quiet and calm. It was great. The other day, I woke up and I had twelve hundred new dollars in my checking account. How about that? I'm still waiting for my for my government money. Oh, you, you haven't gotten your mega bucks yet? No, I've got. Everyone's mad. At, I, it's funny. Everyone on Twitter. I, I bank at Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo is lagging behind the rest of the banks. Everyone's. Oh no. Everyone's. Everyone is rabid about Wells Fargo. Like, give us my money. Give me my money. And I'm just like. On one hand, it's like some people are like, well, it's our money. You took it from us. And I'm just like, you think this money is actually coming from tax dollars? Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and, and here's the sad thing for me, that that $1,200 is going to go right back to the back to IRS. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's cause, true. Because it's not, that's not, that's 600 bucks sitting really a dent out of my, you know, 10,000 plus dollar a year tax bill. So. Yeah. Yep. And, but you know, they, the, the, the middle class and the lower class, they, they, you know, they make you think that you're getting money back, you know, like it's a bonus, you know, I get my tax return. Yeah. It's like, bonus. Yeah, it's it's like, like what, what if you kept it? You know, it's right. like, that's what, a whole what, what withholding. It, yeah. Can you imagine how the, I mean, think about that. How, how would the political mindset change if every single person on April, whatever it is, April 15th had to actually write a check to the IRS Oh yeah. I mean, it was, I, I had this sense of it, but no, it wasn't until I was self-employed. Did I really realize the impact of taxes when you have to write that damn check 
and you see the amount of money that, and you start thinking, man, if I, you know, if I wasn't writing a $3,000 check to the IRS today, I could do da, 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 you know, then it really starts to, when they just take it out of your check and then, you know, send a thousand dollars back to you in April, it's, you know, no no big deal. People don't realize that the cost of, of, and then, they, and then you get this, oh, well, uh, taxation is the price we pay to live in a civilized <laughs> society. And I'm like, yeah, bombing uh, children in Yemen, that's that's real civilized oh, there. Oh, yeah, don't get me. Uh, <laughs> I was just talking to some friends last night about this, and, uh, you know, they had shared a screenshot of someone who was, uh, you know, probably a boomer, because someone had brought up Yemen. They are like, oh, 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 you think we have troops in Yemen for, you know, uh, who, who's attacking who and blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, they're there to protect our freedoms. You need to support that. I was just like, how did my freedoms end up halfway across the world? Right. I don't how mean, are freedoms my freedoms protected by dropping bombs on, on, on families sitting right. in their homes and destroying their communities? I'm, 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 I'm failing to see where my freedoms are under threat by people halfway across the world, just, you know, trying to survive in, in, in their, uh, you know, just live their lives. I mean, they don't care about me. Nope. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I mean, people, people will then bring up like ISIS and stuff. I'm just like, you know, trace back that history. Go, go, mm-hmm. go, go watch some Scott Horton and let me know who made ISIS. Right. <laughs> like, you know, we're our own worst enemy, but you know, they, but they like that. The elites, they like having a boogeyman to fight. Because that lets that justifies the empire. That justifies. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand how Christians. You know, we should we should get into this a little bit, because that's that is. I agree with you. War is one of my most important issues. I mean, I do care a lot about the economy because our economic structure is what makes war possible. True. Um, because if we had to, if we had a gold reserve, we couldn't fight these wars. If that's we had a gold correct. standard, I mean, there's no way. I mean, I think I I remember. I forget where I heard this. I think it might have been Tom Woods. Uh, but if World War One had to be fought on the gold reserves alone, it would have ended in like six months. Yeah, I mean, you can't. War is expensive, and that's mm-hmm. what people people are always worried about. Well, if we don't have a state, if we had a free society, you know, what? what how would people not be at each other all the time and, and warring against each other? I'm like, because if you can't create money out of thin air, war is always more expensive than trade. War is always more expensive than the peaceful solution. Right. And, you know, well, and, and the other aspect of that, too, and, and is the fact that it is the state that makes us hate the other person hmm, and, and makes us willing to kill them. You know, I mean, <clears throat> it's true. If, if, you know, human beings, we, we get into conflict and certainly in the absence of a state, uh, you know, in, in a <clears throat> world of pure anarchy. Yeah, I might get in a tiff with my next door neighbor. <clears throat> or we might get in a tift with the, the, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, village down the street. But it would be highly unlikely that me here in North Florida would give two wits what's going on in Yemen. There's no reason for me to hate anybody in Yemen in, in the absence of a state telling me there's a reason that I have to hate people in Yemen. It's the interest of the states that clash that create the wars. It's not actual human conflict. Human conflict is rather limited or regionalized. You know, we might get in, a, in an argument over a property boundary or uh, you know, food or whatever, but it's the state that creates the, the war. And then, as uh, Randolph Bourne put it, war is the health of the state. So it's, it's, it benefits the state to create those types of, of animosities because it gets everybody all patriotic and, and people who 
you know, normally wouldn't care anything about their government. All of a sudden, oh, we got to support the government because we're at war with these people over here. So, so the entire thing is 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 really um, part of the sin structure of the state. And one of my favorite theologians is William Stringfellow. He's a uh, was an Anglican theologian, and one of the things that he said or wrote stuck has stuck in my head, and really has solidified my view that all governments are inherently evil. They're all Babylon. You know, there's, there's no Christian nation. You're not going to turn America into a Christian nation. It, it's not a thing. These nations are all Babylon because the moral authority of the state is death. Everything that the state does ultimately has death behind it. Everything from the wars to a seatbelt law ultimately is done at the threat of gunpoint. And people need to wrap their head around that for a minute, you know, and people will laugh at me. Oh, no, nobody's going to shoot you because you're not wearing a seatbelt. Well, no, not directly. But think about the power that's behind a seatbelt law. If I refuse to wear a seatbelt, I get pulled over. If I not wear the seatbelt, I get fined. If I refuse to wear the uh, pay the fine, then I will have my license revoked. If I ref- drive anyway, then I will get arrested. If I resist arrest, I will be killed. So ultimately, somewhere along that line, there's somebody with a gun. That is true first, of everything the state does. Yeah, I remember the first two times I heard those arguments, they were from statists, but they were at least you know, statists are, are more in line with libertarianism than, right. than most. It was uh, Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro. The mm-hmm. first two I heard that from, because Peterson back when he was dealing with, I don't know if you, you remember his uh, initial rise to fame was because like, he refused to use the transgender pronouns in Canada. Right. And he was on a, an interview and they were like, well, you know, you're, you're acting like we're trying to com- you know, commit violence against you. The worst that happens is that you get fined if you break this law. And Peterson says, what if I don't pay the fine? And then, right. and, and then you know, Shapiro, it, this maddens me because I like Shapiro, but he's so bad on foreign policy and war. But he did, at least was the first one I ever heard, he compared government laws to guns and said, any government law is a gun pointed at your face, compelling you to do something at the end of the day. Because what makes a law something you have to listen to? It has to be forced. It has to, you know, yeah, it's not, it's not, yeah, they're not asking you to do it. You know, Um, at the end of the day, there is some kind of compulsion of force. Um, you said all government is Babylon. Uh, I, I, I agree with that, but sometimes I like to, because some people get caught up on words, and what I, the way I like to put it is we have to get used to the idea of self-government, the idea that we, we you know, that comes from self-ownership, that we, right. have to, we have to own ourselves and we have to govern ourselves and be responsible for our own lives, our own safety, our own well-being. We can't, uh, you know, socialize that, which is what, you know, government you know, state government really is. It's this idea that, well, I don't want the responsibility of X, Y, and Z to do it myself. Right. I want that to be socialized. And I, I love that graph uh, or, or meme that I've seen. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, of, of voluntarism. And there are these red circles that are dripping with blood, actually. And and within these circles, there are different things. And like at the top, it's like healthcare. And right. like the big circle is like communism and stuff. And then it goes down to like minarchism, and, and then it's just like uh, roads, uh, courts, right. police, and everything in the red circle is I will act violently upon people to obtain X. And right. it just, you know, there's just varying levels of, of services that people 
you know, in their varying levels of statism are willing to justify violence for to get. But then right. the anarchist, the voluntarist, I, I agree with you, voluntarist is a, it's a nicer word, although it, it, it creates confusion sometimes because right. you have to then explain it. But it, 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 the anarchist, the voluntarist says all those services, a lot of them are things that are good that you would, we, we agree we want to have, but what we're not willing to do is initiate violence against someone right. in order to get it, which that should be normal. Um, it has to, to me, now, even though like, uh, you know, as a Christian, um, I do believe that man is sinful, but I do believe that man has to be taught or indoctrinated to hit a level where they have these, uh, this cognitive dissonance going on to where they, in, in one realm of their life, they do everything voluntarily. Right. Like that is how most people go about day to day. Yeah. 90% of our interactions are voluntary. Right. But but then more. but they have to be indoctrinated to accept the contradiction to that. Mm -hmm. And there's no argument to it. Like when you ask people to justify the state, a lot of times what it comes down to is, well, we just need it because there's no there's no actual justification. It's just, well, it's a special entity that just has the right to do this <laughs> right, yeah. and i'm like but no but no. especially for my christian brothers and sisters i'm like where in the bible do you find this yeah. like, where in the bible you know do you see god say do not murder do not steal do not covet except these people right. it's not there it's not it's not in romans 13 romans right. 13 says that uh the governing authorities are there to what they're there to punish evil and protect good Mm -hmm. It does not, Romans 13 doesn't sanction uh, governing authorities to, to violate God's law. Right. You know, and to me, governing authorities, that's just, I would, I would describe that as, as a libertarian self-governance, -gover that we should be governing ourselves, that these things should exist in voluntary uh, uh, market relationships that come up naturally. Um, and, and there's no need to have a monopoly and, and the 10th amendment center and the stuff you do there. I mean, that, that, that is a good entryway for people to, to, to start talking to them about, you know, why do you think everything has to be, uh, monopolized? And, right. and the, the, the foil to that is people think democracy makes it better. Yeah. <laughs> now, I want to, I want to, you made a really good point. And, and what I should say is not government is Babylon, but the state or, nation states are babylon because i'm not necessarily anti-government in in the in the sense of the word government you know we can we can enter into voluntary uh situations where there is a government as long as it's right. voluntary you know i mean i think in many ways the church a, a church sure. has yeah. some sort of government to it but i'm not forced to be part of that i can willfully enter into that uh, into that society and I can willfully withdraw myself and, you know, nobody's going to point a gun at me on Sunday morning and force me to put my, my check in the offering plate. But there is a sense of governing. You have a hierarchy, you have authorities and we willingly submit to authority. So I'm not anti-government in this, in the broad sense of the word. And sometimes I think, uh, I, I make the mistake. I think a lot of people do of, of kind of interchanging government and state. Really what I am is anti-state. And when I say, when I said government is Babylon, what I really meant is the state is Babylon. So the United States is Babylon. Right. Germany is Babylon. England is Babylon. All of it. And you can trace it back. I mean, you go all the way back to the original government, the original human government, which was the, the folks that were trying to build the Tower of Babel. 
and uh, and you can trace all of the empires from there, from Babylon to Persia to Greece to Rome to the multiple uh, governments and empires that we have today. So. Um, I, I think that's, I'm glad you made that point because a lot of times people say, well, you know, you've got to have, and, and I'm not, I'm not anti-government. I'm not even anti-hierarchy, like some, like you get ANCOMs who are like, well, we can't have any hierarchy. I think that's kind of dumb because just, we naturally, anybody who's played on a sports team knows there's hierarchy in the world, but, um, right, but I, you that's know, a good it's, point. It, it, it's funny because the, you know, to, to me, the Bible doesn't say that there, yeah, like you said, there's no problem with hierarchy or authority. Um, or even governance, but but we have to recognize what is legitimate versions of those and what is illegitimate versions of those. Right. And to me, the Bible prescribes very well how we can distinguish between what is legitimate and illegitimate. And it right. comes down to uh, the initiation of force. Yeah, if it's exactly. you know, it, now it's one thing to respond to you know, like I'm not a I'm not a, although I I relate to pacifism, I'm not a pacifist so to speak. I do believe there are appropriate responses to those who initiate aggression with uh, proportional defensive force to, uh, to stop them from doing harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, that's, but initiating aggression to me is, is something that uh, a moral person, a Christian can never do. And, and that's why I'm a voluntarist or, or an anarchist or whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a Christian. I'm just trying right. to follow exactly. Christ consistently. And yeah. look at what Jesus did. Jesus was, I always like to bring this up and uh, have your thoughts on this as we bring it to a close here. But to me, Jesus is the best reflection of how to live life mm-hmm. on earth. And, you know, now people will say he chased people out of the temple with whips and stuff. I'm like, okay, but like, you know, at the end of the day, you could say he was protecting his property in a sense. Um, he was protecting the temple and he didn't kill anyone. He just no. chased them out. He turned some tables over. He made a ruckus. But at the end of the day, Jesus didn't, you know why he was rejected as Messiah was because the Jews were expecting someone to come down and read a butt. Yeah. To come down and, to, you know, destroy the, the, the Roman empire and yeah. to impose another state. But to me, yep. it's like that the Jews had, had missed it all the way back to first Samuel. Yes. Where God said, you know, if you, if you will, if you want a King, if you want a state, you know, first Samuel, God prescribes yep. exactly what the state is going to do to them and says, you're going to cry out for this to be removed from you, you know, yep. in, in due time. But yep. unfortunately, Samuel's the- <laughs> like, Samuel's like, yeah, well, they still want a King uh, God and God's all right. Give him a King. Yep. He's like, there you here go. we and, are. Yep. And, and, <laughs> it's just we always like that golden calf i guess people just they want something and to me that that is where i think the secular christian the secular anarchists and libertarians you know where they might fall short and where i try to bring christianity in is to say you know you're trying to combat the state what you might be missing is that if you remove god from the picture Mm -hmm. people are going to worship something yeah and all too often that becomes the state People love getting attracted to some kind of monopoly power when they remove God as the sovereign from their lives. Um, And and that's why, you know, when people say, well, people get icky when with certain uh, phrases in in Christianity, like giving God glory and God demands our worship. And I'm like, I don't think God is doing this out of a tyrannical sense of like, like he's egotistical or some kind of maniac, but God designed us. He knows that, that we, we worship and, and, um, even like guys like Jordan Peterson observe this just in, you know, it's observable in, in human psychology. He's like, you, he's like, you worship 
your religion is whatever you place at the top of your hierarchy. Right. And that's what you're going to live out. And belief is not just, oh, I, I express X as being true, but belief is what you ultimately live your life by. Right. And if you're not living your life by God, you're going to live it by something else. Mm-hmm. And, and that often devolves into statism. And I think that's what the Bible shows us clearly. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the, you know, I mentioned Lipscomb, um, that was exactly his premise that, that basically we were designed to be ruled and governed by God and all of our attempts at worldly government, at nations, at empire is really an attempt to replace God. That's, that's what they were doing with the power of Babel. It's like, we're going to be like God, we're going to build this tower to, to heaven. And we're going to be in full control, and that's that's the history of humankind all the way through. And you're absolutely right. If we if we continue on that path, we're going to continue creating these these idol, idolatrous systems that are always going to be based on violence, force, and coercion, and are always going to be harmful to millions and millions of people. I guess it's beneficial beneficial if you manage to grab those handles of power up to a point. But you know, it's interesting. All empires fall. And, and you can see that repeated. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. You see these, these kings come to power and and God uses those kings. You know, he, he used the king of Babylon to punish the the uh, the, the Israelites. And yet when his time was finished, then here come the uh, you know, here come the Persians and and they destroy that Babylonian empire. And then it did then the Greeks come along and and so if you know, it's it's what, exactly what Jesus told Peter. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. If you if you buy into this worldly system, this worldly system will at some point destroy you because we know the end of the story is that ultimately Jesus is going to be fully on the throne, and uh, and all of these all of these human made systems are going to be destroyed forever. So, um, that's, yep, that's and, and and it comes down to like the other thing you said that I wanted to to. to bring back up was you know we we and this might be partly because of the indoctrination but we uh, our culture we we want to have power over people we want to force mm-hmm. our our ideas our perspectives on them you know i was in a conversation with a like a you know opposite of me like a very left leaning uh libertarian anarchist you know not not christian right. and and you know I'm somewhat, I've always described myself as kind of like socially conservative. Well, he hated that. He automatically assumed I was like a Republican, even though I was on like an (laughs) anarchist page. And he was, and the reason was because he said, well, social conservatives want to use the government to impose uh, all these Christian social values. I said, well, I think that's not what conservatism is. He said, well, well, that's what the majority is. And I went, okay, well, maybe (laughs) I was like, and unfortunately, he's got. I can understand where his confusion came from. Sure. And I had to kind of, I had to kind of give give him a little bit of you know understanding there. Like conservatism or whatever is just like every other worldview where we've become uh, you know liquored up by the state, and yeah. we want to we you know people want to you know conservatism. You would think logically would lead to wanting a small state and to not force power on people, but unfortunately, I I I, I do too often see the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, like I, I've come from more of a, like a, a reformed circles and a lot of reformed Christians are, I, mean, I wouldn't say like most of them, but there are many of them who are almost theocratic and like, the, yeah. you know, they, they want to institute, they want to get a Christian state back. And I'm like, yeah. I, I just don't see that. I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that in Jesus. Jesus said in 
um, I think it was Mark 10, like, don't be like the Gentiles who are seeking to rule over one another. Yeah. But, and, you know, don't, and the word he used was archist. He said, don't be like the, the Gentiles who are seeking to be archists over one another. Right. You know, that, that's not how it should be among you. And, and, and Christians, we should be leading by example in this world to, to not worship the state and to not yeah. live as the statist and trying to impose our, our beliefs on other people. Like you said, God doesn't mm-hmm. coerce us. Yep. Um, you know, God, God does want us to submit to him, but you know, it's, it's just obvious that God doesn't coerce us to him. We have to make that, that choice to follow him. And, you know, that might come after, you know, uh, whatever, there's different systems of theology out there, but, but it always comes after the, the choice Mm -hmm. to repent and repent isn't, isn't, you know, we, I was talking to someone a couple episodes ago about this. The original meaning of repent was to not just change your action, but to change your mind. Right. To re- renew your mind and your thinking and to change the way you think. And that's what we need in the church. You know, I yeah. think the church, you know, needs to get its house in order. We need to repent and we need to stop getting, uh, having this mixture of going after the, uh, the, the power of the state. Right. That's not the what our sword, calling is. The our, sword is servants. Not, the not, sword not, is a powerful yeah. temptation, man. Yep. It is. Absolutely. It's, it's because it's the easy way. Right. What is that? Hard, hard, you know, the, 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 the correct path is not easy. No. <laughs> That's what Jesus told us. He said the, exactly. the way is narrow. narrow. Yeah. So yeah. cool. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you doing this. Um, I think this was a good conversation. Hopefully people get something out of it. Uh, they can find you on uh, your website, which is what, uh, godarchy.com. Uh, they can yeah, find you? No, let me give you, I'll give you three websites. Okay. First website, 10th Amendment Center.com. Talked about that already. T-E-N-T-H. Um, if you're interested in getting involved into in some practical things that we can do, uh, that, that basically I like to call it the Rosa Parks method of uh, of politics. Just say no. You know, I'm not giving up my my seat on the bus because it's not right. Well, we're not going to do what the federal government tells us to do because it's it's wrong. Uh, you can check out what we're doing over there, and um, and there's all kinds of ways to get involved. Uh, I have my own website, michaelmaharry.com. So it's just my name, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y.com. And uh, I, I write there. I have old podcast episodes from a podcast I used to do. Um, you can also find information about my book, Constitution Owner's Manual, if you're interested in learning more about the original meaning of the Constitution. So that's there. And then more relevant to the discussions that we've had, godarchy.org. So okay, that's, uh, that's cool. where all of my... Uh, my uh, Christian voluntarism stuff is I do do, I have a podcast over there. Um, and have some and I know you're on, I, I listen to you on Podbean. Are you anywhere else as well? Like YouTube or iTunes or anything? Oh, uh, let's see. I am on Stitcher, Google play, uh, iTunes, and I have a YouTube channel and I've been really, really bad about not putting the episodes on YouTube. And I probably, that's one of the things I was thinking I need to do this YouTube year. YouTube <laughs> makes it really difficult sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> They're not well, I mean, I, I, my, my podcast is audio only. So, I mean, really all I'd need to do is put a graphic on and just upload the, the video and the audio. Yeah. But, cool. uh, it's just one of those things that doesn't get done. Yeah. There's not enough time in the day. Wish we could, exactly. we could add like, you know, hey, instead of printing money, can the government print more hours? <laughs> <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> But no, yeah, put, deposit that in my bank account, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right, Mike. Well, uh, thanks for coming on again. Hope you have a good uh, rest of your weekend. And uh, uh, hopefully 2021 brings better than 2020. We'll see. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. It was great talk. Cool. Have a good one. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.